the Pharisees and the crowd, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So I'm thinking to myself, what in the world set those religious people off so they wanted to kill Jesus? What did Jesus say? Or what did he do, possibly? Or as we study further, who did Jesus claim to be? And as we will learn, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed when he said that I am statement before Abraham was born, I am he claimed to be God. At this point, we can either take Jesus at his word, or maybe we can declare Jesus crazy or insane, or moreover, we could declare Jesus pure evil because only somebody that is opposed to God would claim to be God on this earth. So there's, he either is God, he's crazy, or he's an imposter, right? There's a imposter among us. All the kids are like, ooh, it's probably red. He looks us. All the adults are like, what? But my, it is. It's, it's from a video game on your phone. So uh, that's, that's why all the kids are over here giggling. They're not giggling. I'll move on. It's at this point we can either take Jesus at his word or he is an imposter. Let's unpack the statement in this verse in the book of Genesis. God picks out Abraham to form a covenant relationship with to restore all humanity. Fast forward, we find out that all men become our their basis is evil, right? They they regress to self-righteousness, they regress to um selfish desires and no there's no different for the people of Israel. They are regressing as well and they are not going to make this easy. So God decides he's going to pick one family. And he picks Abraham to represent him. And he takes his descendants. And they will set the examples to the world. And we ask ourselves, did they? Well, sometimes they did. When God was like very present and leading them step by step. But most of the times, no. They messed up a lot. They gripe against God. They grumble and they complain However, our everlasting Father in his mercy chose to come to the world through this family. Were they perfect? No, far from it. Were they righteous and just? No, not at all. Many times opposite of that. Were they strong and courageous? Only when God commanded them to be. Otherwise, they were fearful and ran away from the fight many times. Were they better than anyone else? And that's why God picked them? No, actually, many times they were worse than other people. And um, this is Jesus' pedigree. He picked one of the weakest people that had very sinful hearts because it shows how holy and how awesome God is. God always does that. We've been talking about that. It's been a theme for this Christmas that he takes... Uh, uses the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise. Jesus refers to Abraham, saying that Jesus was before Abraham was born. Only an everlasting father could say that because he was there before time began. Right? Jesus was there before time began. So, guess what? 
Jesus is. He always has been. He always will be. He declares in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source of all truth and knowledge about God. He is the everlasting answer to all longing in our hearts. He has made the biggest, best effort to be in relationship with us, and we need to recognize this for the love poured out that it is. We need to know that he cares for us deeply. He wants the best for each one of us. His way is the best way. His truth will sustain us. And he is the way to life with the everlasting Father in heaven. Because I believe the everlasting Father who spoke to Moses in the burning bush is the same God who was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And he's the same Jesus who died at Calvary. Okay, well, why maybe should we listen to Jesus then? Well, Jesus is our guiding light. Jesus is our guiding light to the everlasting Father. In Exodus chapter 3, when, when the everlasting Father is calling his people out of Egypt, God calls Moses for the job. Moses sees a burning bush. God speaks to him and tells him he is on holy ground. Meaning he is in the presence of God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would know that God already. Moses, being a timid man, to start off, he's looking for a way to get out of doing this, of doing the Lord's work. I can't do this. I have a speech impediment. I have this. I can't. I don't know what to do. I'm, I don't. And he's a broken man. And God says, I can work with that. And I think Moses might be one of the most unwilling people in the Bible, and another guy that's similar to him is Midian. Both guys are like, I don't know, God, this isn't, I didn't sign up for this, and he's like, I know, I signed you up. It's like, but can we erase my name from this? Can we scratch? No, no, that's not how it works. And he's looking for the way to get out, and the one question he asks of the Lord, all these people in Egypt, they all, and all these Egyptian gods, they all have names, Specific names. Who am I going to say sent me? They worship all these gods. Who am I going to say sent me? The Lord answers, I am. Another name for that would be Yahweh. Jehovah is another one. A.K.A. in many versions in the Bible, it says the Lord. Anytime you see the Lord there, it is referring to Yahweh. Right? It means sovereign. It means almighty. It means that he is there. He's reigning for all time. It is a much more intimate name than Elohim. Elohim simply means God, and at this point, before this, really, God's really hasn't been declared as much except for the Elohim. He does declare himself, I think, the first time to um, Abraham as um, Yahweh. But that name may have been forgotten. God, Elohim, is not very personal. It's a distant God that created and then his hands off. But Yahweh, the fact that God introduces himself as Yahweh, tells us that he, his first priority is in relating to us to make sure that we know that his first priority, that he is 
intensely personal God, seeking to have relationship with his people, God doesn't need us, but that makes it all the more wondrous that he wants us. Okay? God doesn't need us, but it makes it all the more important that he wants us. This is a God who was so love-motivated to know us, to be in relationship with us, that he came to earth as a human and took the punishment we deserved through his son, Jesus Christ. This is our relational God. This is our everlasting Father. A great place to see this is in Psalm 19. If you look at the first six verses in Psalm 19, you will see King David speaking of God as the Elohim. Okay? And then he changes to the Lord or to Yahweh in the last eight verses. Yahweh, it's God Almighty. That's what it means, the Lord. Okay? The last eight verses he speaks to him of the Lord or Yahweh is capped in verse 18. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Notice the use of my in there. Meaning, God is in relationship with us. He cares like a father should. He is our rock and our redeemer, which brings us to Jesus, who tells us in verse, chapter 8, verse 12 of John, I am the light of the world. To a world lost in darkness, Christ offers himself as a guide to life. In John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it reads like this, the word of life to every, the word gave life to everything that was created, and he brought, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. In this, I challenge you to examine yourself. If you were to die today, do you know that you would make it to heaven with this everlasting Father? Do you know? There's a way to know. I know that I'm going to heaven. We can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he offers the way to heaven. Remember, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Right? There's a way to know for sure. It starts with surrendering to the Lord, to the great I am, a.k.a. the everlasting Father. He is there for us if we walk as Jesus walked. Again, he says, I'm the bread of life. He says this in several places in John chapter 6. It says in verse 35, 41, 48, and 51. As bread sustains physical life, so Jesus offers and sustains spiritual life. What did he just do um, in John chapter 5 and 6? He fed the 5,000, right? And so they want more. They want more. They give us more. And he's like, I can give you more, but it's spiritual bread, not physical bread. And they didn't like that answer. Jesus' story is preserved for us in the four Gospels. We need to know the life of the great I Am. We need to read it with friends. There is a Bible reading plan 
out on the foyer that the men's group is going to start going through. Um, I created one on Bible reading plan on the app that I, I read with, but I'm probably not going to do two this year. I'm probably just going to stick with that one. I'm going to try to digitize it and so I can keep track of it better on my stuff. We, I believe the everlasting father who spoke to Moses in the burning bush is the same God who was born as a baby in Bethlehem, and he is the same God who died at Calvary. He's everlasting. Jesus fulfills these everlasting prophecies, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Let's talk about a few, okay? So we ask ourselves, what actions has Jesus taken to prove he is the everlasting Father? Well, one, it is in his authority. If you ever hear Jesus speak to a crowd, he does it with authority. They're always astonished at his authority. He draws everyone to him. They are always amazed by the authority of Jesus' teaching. Now, I will say on something that's probably a little counter to this, Paul doesn't necessarily draw everybody to him, but he has the authority of Christ, and he gives God the glory. I think that may have been part of the, the thorn that was in Paul's side. I don't know if it was or not, but... He, you do see him mentioned a couple times in, in 2 Corinthians that I'm not really the best speaker in the world, but we know Paul, he was pretty sharp when it, came, when it came to writing and teaching, and I think preaching, he was pretty sharp. Um, but he didn't, maybe he didn't have the authority behind it as much as, as some of the other guys that, like maybe Apollos or some of the other, you know, they have a good rhetorical voices that could just speak to the masses and maybe Paul wasn't quite like that but did Paul speak to masses absolutely did Paul do some amazing things um, with large audiences absolutely why because he trusted in the Lord with all his heart lean not on his own understanding in all his ways he followed the Lord and that set his feet straight and his path <laughs> that's what the Bible says the path Right? That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So there's probably about 2,500 prophecies in the Old Testament. 2,000 of these have been fulfilled. Um, majority of them were fulfilled because of the first coming of Christ. Let's look at one specific example of these because then it helps us to understand it. And it comes out of the book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. And I think it's really good. So sometime before 500 B.C., the prophet Daniel proclaimed that Israel's long-awaited Messiah would begin his public ministry 483 years after the ensuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Okay? This is what I was trying to tell us, the kids, on Thursday night, and I couldn't remember this. And I looked at it, and I'm like, hey, there's that illustration. So there, so there are more than just this one prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, but you look at how specific this was, and you find the starting date, which I believe is the beginning uh, when they started rebuilding Jerusalem. And from that point on, you see on the date Jesus uh, being born or crucified. It's one of those two. And then you back up and you find Jesus' birth, and it goes 
uh, to the crucifixion or his birth first and then crucifixion. I can't remember that part either. But Dan- if Daniel is reliable, which guess what? Jewish book writings, Daniel is one of the most reliable books. It's a young book in comparison to many. That means that the Messiah would be born about the same time Jesus was in history, and that means the people would be looking for the Messiah. Think about that. When Jesus was born, the people were searching for the Messiah. That's what makes John the Baptist's story, his birth, so amazing. The people were looking for something, and they saw John the Baptist, and they're like, we got to watch this kid. We got to see what he is going to do. And then when he goes off in the Looney Tune town out in the, in the wilderness and eats locusts and honey, and they're like, well, we ain't going to watch him anymore. <laughs> but then he comes back with this powerful message of repentance, and then he's claiming all these things, but he says he is not the Messiah, but he's bringing the grace of God to prepare the way of the Lord. What an amazing message. It is by God's grace that saves us from our sins through the sacrifice of the Messiah. Jesus was able to save us because he was the defeater of sin and death. Jesus indeed is the great I am. Jesus is the everlasting Father. One of the ways that Jesus declares this is in John eleven twenty five. 25. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoa. Could you imagine the statement? This is such a bold statement. This is like, you're going to die statement. Um, and Jesus says it because, one, he's fulfilling prophecy. God's hand of protection is on him. It's not his time, but it gets close when he says statements like this. Are you sure, Lord? That's what I'd be like. But Jesus wasn't. He was bold. He knew what to do, and he went through. Death is not the final word for those in Christ because Christ defeated death. Amen? Christ gave us a way out. He has defeated death and he has opened the way to the everlasting Father. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. I believe the everlasting Father who spoke Moses in the burning bush is the same God who was born as a baby in Bethlehem and he's the same Jesus who died on Calvary. The last statement, our everlasting Father came down. We have Jesus' miracles. Jesus came down with great authority behind his teaching, and then he backed it up with miraculous signs and wonders. We have the miracle of the virgin birth in Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew as well, but Luke chapter 2. When, G- when God took on the form of man to become the Christ child. This gives us hope that someone can rescue us from death. Yes, this is our everlasting Father's gift to us. That's why we celebrate with gifts at Christmas time. Because God's ultimate gift to us. Have we secularized it? Absolutely. Um, Could we get back to the main message? Definitely. We could get back to um, the meaning of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we have Jesus' teachings. Jesus did not take away from the, the law of Moses, but he fulfilled the law. It says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Don't 
misunderstand what I have, why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. What a powerful statement. God had a plan. Man got scared. So God gave him the law. God said, if you look at the law, Jesus Christ had to fulfill every single one of those things for it to work, for him to be the Messiah. And he's like, I can do that, right? And he does. He fulfills the law, and he comes, and he, just amazing. He came to bring the people's heart back to the Lord. And one of the best ways to do that is to reinforce that he was indeed our everlasting father. This begs the question to be asked, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Does he ever come right out and say it? He does. John chapter 4, he says to the uh, woman at the well, the person you are speaking to is the Messiah. Basically saying, I am the Messiah. Right? Is there any other examples? Well, we've given one. Um, he mentioned earlier in, in John chapter 8, verse 57, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. It's meaning that he is not bound by time, matter, and space, that he must be God if he's saying a statement like that. And if the people, the Israelites that heard that, especially the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they would stone him for claiming to be God. So he claimed to be God. Did he back it up? Yes, he did, through his miracles. And we have three more statements in the Bible of I am statements that we're going to talk about this morning to wrap it up with. Jesus claimed to be the great I am. He claimed to be the everlasting Father. It says, I am the good shepherd. Okay? I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11 and John 10, 14. Jesus is committed to caring and watching over those who are his. Just like a good father would, Jesus is willing to lay his, himself down at death's door and allow us to cross over into life. There's a great chasm between God and man. And all, the bridge over is through the cross of Jesus Christ. If we don't surrender at the cross, we don't get into heaven. That is important to understand. The Father has given his Son to die as our Savior. Father has sent his Son to be a Savior. This is the song we sing at uh, Community Bible Study. Next, I am the door of the sh- for the sheep. The sheep gate. Jesus protects his followers as shepherd protects the flocks from predators. While the flocks are out grazing, the shepherd can, be, can see the flock and they are well protected. The son does a lot of that, right? He can see um, the flock and so he doesn't have to worry about predators too much. He can let them get a little bit farther away from the shepherd and they can graze and they are safe. But at night... The shepherd brings the sheep close to him. He finds a couple of tall stone walls when he can, and he tucks those sheep into those crevices. 
He checks inside that pen and makes sure everything is safe. He fills in snake holes. He fills in um, anything that might hurt the sheep, and he makes sure they're protected. And then across the front of the other two walls, he makes um, thorn bushes. He pulls those in, and he makes the third wall. And then there's a small opening for that uh, wall, and the shepherd then lays down across that door to protect the sheep. Because if there's one spot that they can go through, a predator like a bear or a lion, they're going to go through the easiest way. But the shepherd lays his life down on that threshold so that he knows if a lion or a bear tries to go through, the first person he's going to go through is the shepherd. And so Jesus is our protection he lays, this, he lays down across the door to protect the sheep. Our lives are spared because of the protection of our everlasting Father. When we choose to enter his sheepfold, it is our choice, friends, as sheep. Are we going to go into his fold and be offered his protection, or are we going to try to go it alone? You ever tried going it alone? How's that work out for you? It doesn't. Even I've tried to go it alone. It doesn't work. Anytime I surrender and I come back into the fold, it, I'm better off, and you will be too. Not because of anything I've done, but what he has done. So then when we come into that fold, Jesus says, I am the true vine. In John 15, he says that in verse 1 and 5. It's a great passage of scripture. By coming into that fold and attaching ourselves to the vine, we are attach ourselves to Christ. We, we enable his life to flow in and through us. If we remain in the vine, then he will remain in us. We have the promises of doing life with God. That means he takes away our sins when we build it up. He cuts it off. He shows us how to live, where to grow. He trains the vine to go on the trestle and not on the ground. Don't go down there where the dirt is, where you can trample, where the fox can take your butt away. No, come up here where there's life where there's sun, where there's light that eradicates the darkness. I will show you the way. I will train you how to go. You're going to go off that way? Oh, no, we're going to prune that off because that's not where, we're not reaching out that way. You need to produce fruit, not vegetation. I want to see the fruit come off of these flowers, off of these buds. It's just like what the, our Heavenly Father does, Right? He is continually walking alongside us. The Spirit gives a home, makes a home in our hearts, folks. Death is just to our physical bodies at that point. Our spiritual bodies will live forever with Him who loves us as our everlasting Father, our great I Am. 
because I believe the everlasting Father who spoke to Moses in that burning bush. He is the same God who was born as a baby in Bethlehem, vulnerable, exposed to Satan, right? Satan could have killed him right there. Boom, done. God's hand of protection was on his son. God's hand of protection is on you. If he can protect Jesus from Satan as a baby, he can protect me as an adult, right? Sometimes I give him a run for his money sometimes. Uh, He's the same Jesus who died on Calvary, who protects us from sin and death. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for life in you. Lord, we pray that if there's someone who has not accepted you into their life, Lord, we pray that they would surrender today, surrender their lives, surrender their lifestyle. Lord, give it up to you. There's no answer on this side and on this earth other than you that's going to get us back to heaven. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, will you reveal that to us this morning? Will you open up our hearts to understand what you've done on the cross? That you sacrificed your life for me, for White Rose, for Peoria County, for Illinois, for the United States, for the world. You opened it up so that there's a way for all to get to heaven. Lord, I ask that you would open my eyes to reveal your glory just a little bit more so I have a better understanding of what salvation means. And I pray that you would do that for our friends here at White Rose and online. Lord, we pray during this Christmas season that we would be the hope uh, for our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers, that we would be the joy and we would be able to preach salvation of Jesus Christ to those around us. Lord, I pray that we would have a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this. And as we go through every part of this day, help us to live, to love the people you, or help us to love you and to love the people you, who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.